0: Corinthians chapter 13, we continue our journey through this uh, short but uh, loaded chapter, chapter 13, we want to deal with uh, ch- verse 7 specifically today, as Paul kind of finishes up that first section where he uh, describes in various ways what love is and what love is not, and also the importance of love. Uh Starting next week, we will talk about the permanence of love, the continuation of love. Last week, though, we saw uh, some things that love did not do. Love does not keep track of every wrong to be used at a later date. This is contrary to what Christ does for us and just something that we have seen often and it's something we really need to be careful of and ask God to keep us from uh, doing uh, love rejoices in good things and hates evil things as the Bible defines them. Uh, not uh, Like I said last week, just because something is true does not mean that we rejoice in it. We're talking about the truth of God's word, the tr- those true and good things. Uh, and uh, this love flows from our love for the Lord. And then finally, it is not afraid to speak and live this out, even if it offends. And so we remind ourselves of balance. Love is just not saying every things that are pleasing, things that are kind and nice, uh, things that the other person wants to hear. Sometimes love must, uh, as we say, be tough love. We must say those things that, uh, they don't want to hear. Just as they, as Christ disciplines us, He loves us, we know that, but He disciplines those He loves, Hebrews tells us, because it is good for us, because it is necessary. The child who doesn't discipline his child the Bible says hates his child and so we we have to it, so many times the the world has just gone completely off into uh, and even Christians I' afraid uh, to this idea that love only is sweet and kind it has a smile on your face and never offends anybody and of course if that's the case then we could never give anybody the gospel right because the gospel is quite offensive so those are some of the things that we dealt with last week. As we move towards the end of the chapter though, and the end of this description of love, we immediately see that the, the verse seven are to be taken as hyperboles, as overstatements. In other words, uh, it we'll, it we'll explain this as we go on, but we know that l- love doesn't bear all things. It doesn't believe everything, right? We're talking about, uh, something else, uh, and we'll, we'll just, we'll, We'll try to make that apparent as we go um, along. But if we keep the previous things that we've studied in mind, I think we can pretty much know what Paul is getting at. There are things that love puts up with and things that love will not put up with. Things that it believes and things that it cannot believe and so forth. We might say that basically love will do whatever is needed for the good of its object. Um, and so I thought I'd put verse 7 up here with uh, three other different translations just to kind of help us get a feel for uh, what's being said here. Uh, the New English Bible says there is nothing love cannot face. There is no limit to its faith, its hope, and its endurance. And again, as, as, we, as we try to explain these things, I think all, every one of, both, all three of these have their merits. Love knows no limit, it's the Phillips Bible, love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope, it can outlast anything. Uh, finally, the New International Version says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and that last one perhaps uh, says it best, more cons- uh, concisely, but you see the idea here is that there's no limit to love and we'll try to uh, define each one of these things but that the, the the main uh i think goal of the verse is that there's no limit it will keep going and doing what it need whatever needs to be done it will do it and again keep it in mind that the definition of love is that whatever is good for its object right there's no there's no I, there's no limit like you think about a a husband and a wife is there a limit is it, i love my wife but as long as Certain things are okay, but if, but if she crosses a line, I'm, I'm not gonna love her. Right? You know, no, and we wouldn't expect that, and that's kinda of what's being said here. And so, first of all, we read uh, in the ESV that it bears all things. And I think it's a difficult verse in, in one sense to, uh, translate, perhaps why, uh, there's, you see the other three translations did, did even use that word. But the word bear here literally means to cover in the sense of protection, uh, to ex- to, uh, to uh, protect from exposure. and So in this case, to protect from ridicule or harm. Uh, sometimes, you know, I will carry or bear the load for those I love, but the word bear here doesn't really have the idea of carry, and although there's a sense in which if, if, if carrying a load is protecting and helping, then that would certainly fit. But it seeks to help others, but not certainly not to harm them, but to protect those that you love. So it isn't necessarily speaking about bearing as being patient, although clearly that's not good could be could fit into it. But it works to help an object of love, especially in the sense of covering up or, or not exposing them to harm. Sometimes that involves being patient, and in a sense this verse is summing up, I think some of the other things that we've already studied, and it's reminding us that love must be the controlling factor in every aspect of our lives. And, it, and if it is, uh, it will triumph in all things. In all things or everything I face, love will enable me to triumph in the kingdom of God. I think there's an element of that here as, it, as verse 7 reminds us that love, if love is practiced in our lives, ultimately it will get us to where we want to be. I think there's a, a sense that's a part of the perseverance. The Lord enables us to persevere, to love him to the end. And certainly in the Corinthian church, it was everybody for himself. Verse 7 wasn't practiced at all. The only time they were paying attention to each other was because they were jealous of, of someone, what somebody else had, or they were criticizing, or they were ignoring, uh, they, they were uh, exposing sin. The opposite of what we see here in verse seven. You ever see? And I've only seen this in—I'm uh, pretty sure in, on the uh, supermarket racks. I'm pretty sure I've never read this thing, but you've seen the magazine True Confession, and and and, and it's about right. It, it's people who have done bad things are finally confessing it. It's being exposed in, in some sense, right? And I think that's that's reminding us of what's going on here. Man's depravity causes him to rejoice in other men's depravity. As we talked about, I think, last week, if there was, if the news media didn't talk about bad things, it would, they would close shop because nobody's interested in the good things. Our, our human evil nature wants to hear the bad, the ugly, and a little bit of the good, right? And so in this case, love is not bearing or covering up sin, excuse me, uh, in the, in the case of true confessions, for instance, love is not trying to cover up their sin. It's exposing their sin. But love bears, B-E-A-R, B-E-A-R it carries, covers, excuse me. Love doesn't bear, B-A-E-R-E, doesn't expose. Love covers, or it carries, it doesn't expose people's sins. And so I think that when we think about this, bearing all things, that keep that in mind, is that I keep things hidden. About other th- you know, I don't hurt, I don't expose, I don't gossip, I don't uh, ridicule. I, I try to protect those I love as much as as possible. Here's a, a, one way we could apply this. Think about it, how much effort and desire you have in hiding your own sin. Let's be honest, you know. We uh, we talk we talk about putting our best foot forward. That's that's kind of how we always do. Right? I I don't usually when I'm introduced to people uh, start listing my faults, you know? and 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 that's the idea here. What you love, you you try to put the best foot forward in a sense. So now the next time you see or hear about someone else's problems, and the desire to tell someone arises. Perhaps act like they are your spouse or your child. What would you do if someone says something about someone you love? Well, you usually try to, and again, we've got to be careful that we don't lie or just pretend things aren't as they are. But we, I like guess someone perhaps outside the church came up to me and said, well, you know, someone in your church did this or that or said this or that. And, and perhaps I would say, well, uh, I think that was mista- mistaken. I don't think they meant it that way. Or and I would I would assume the best until um, it's I, I you know it's been proven to me differently because that would be my natural desire I don't want to believe bad things about those I love but again it doesn't give us the right to ignore or deny those things but treat people like that you know if someone come up to me and and, and said well your wife she did this awful thing. I would uh, assume that no, I, you're probably lying about that. I don't believe that. I, I'm going to have to find out for for sure, right? I know because I love her, and, and because I know her. I mean, obviously, if you had a wife, that, you know, did that, you would maybe you'd not be surprised. What we're talking about in the best of, of things. And so, another in, in idea is love someone like you love yourself. Uh, you know, you you we tend to cover up our our faults usually. To, to an excess more than we should often but that's how we should do, treat those that we love. Uh, here's an excellent reason why uh, this is important because Proverbs 10, 12 says hatred stirs up strife but love covers off offenses. In other words, when we are quick to ridicule and expose and dwell on the bad that people have done uh, that doesn't help anything. It just causes problems. But when we as much as is possible, let love cover a multitude of sins and offenses and and, and, and ignore things that don't matter. Uh, there's much a better spirit around us. Someone pointed out that we can measure our love for someone by how quick we are to cover their faults, right? It's more or less what I've been saying. Have you ever had someone accuse a loved one of something and you quickly... And hopefully, honestly, explain that well. They didn't mean it that way. And I, I kind of jumped ahead here. I've, I've already mentioned this, but I think I think this is exactly what you know. Proverbs ten is talking about. And, and if uh, someone that we don't particularly like, someone comes up and says something they do that they did. Uh, don't we know that our tendency often is? Well, it figures. You know what do you expect, right? Because you don't like them anyway. And so when you hear something bad about them, we, what do we do? Well, we're rejoicing in that. We, we're, eh, yeah, there's a certain amount of smug satisfaction when we see the faults in those that we don't like. Well, what that does though is let us know that, well, there's, that we don't love them. Now, there are some things that need to be exposed. I understand that. But you see the difference. You see the way you, the way you react has a lot about your relationship with that person. Perhaps our problem is that our, the circle of those that we love in a godly way is way too narrow because there's only a very few people that we will cover up. Perhaps for you, the only people you'd cover up is your immediate family. But you hear something bad about somebody else, you're quick to spread it, you're quick, quick to believe it, quick to rejoice in it. Well, then I would say you're, the, those that you love, you're, you're, that group is too narrow. Love doesn't cover everything. Again, these are hyperboles. Love doesn't uh, bear all things in that sense. doesn't cover up everything. But it covers up those things that will honor the Lord. in a, Anything in a way that will honor Him. There was years ago, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Eric Canner. He was, I would say, 10, 15 years ago. Probably a good 15 years ago now. He, he was uh, someone who... Uh, was I had a ministry where he would go around and he as he was supposedly a converted muslim and he was going around and he was uh trying to evangelize muslims and, I, and as far as i know he had some measure of success i don't know he he was uh known certainly well known in certain circles anyway and it it, it became became known that uh he, his whole testimony was a farce he, he made it all up he you said that he was raised as a Muslim and he had been converted out of Islam and it wasn't true. He had a father who was a Muslim, but he his mother, I think, soon uh left his father or something she was or she was a Christian. He wasn't really raised as a Muslim. It was just everything he said about himself almost was untrue. And when it came out and there were those who said this is wrong and he needs to repent of this there were other Christians who said, Oh wait just a minute. What <clears throat> Christians shouldn't criticize other Christians. He's got this great ministry, and how dare you criticize him? Well, see, now we've got now we've gone too far. We're we're covering up things that can't be covered up, because Christians are to be known, if anything, for being truthful, loving truth. In fact, that was what we saw last week. We love truth, and we can't. and And if we are lying, and this is what's happening today, right, in all these different political groups and different social groups out there. If we're on your side, you can lie. We don't care. But if if someone that we don't like lies, oh boy, we're on them like uh, crazy, right? And so we, ha- if if we aren't truthful, we have no credibility. In other words, if I'm lying to you, then I'm sitting there and telling you about the, telling you the gospel. Why would they believe that, right? And so that was something that should be exposed. And, and I think it's, it's a worthwhile example or uh, exception to remind ourselves of. Then, of course, this is what the Lord has, has done for our sins. Remember, uh, we have talked about the, the Ark of the Covenant and the lid, the covering was called the mercy seat. And it was through the blood of Christ that our sins have been covered, in a sense. And uh, he's covered our sins. Now so he's, he's done it not by ignoring them, of course, but he's covered them. He, he's done what is, was needed to take care of the sin and do it for our good. And not for our uh, destruction. And I think we see it in in Isaiah 53, 4 here. Surely he has borne our griefs. Now in that sense he's he's carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. So he bore... He carried our sins so that we could go free, right? He did what was necessary to take care of us. There is a a great little illustration I was reading about that. I I thought I would read this to you. It won't take but a second. But just kind of a really, I think, illustrates love here in in the the way that we're talking about it here. Get to it. This was uh, took place in the days of uh, Cromwell. And uh, there was a uh, young soldier who was sentenced to die. I don't know the particulars of it. But he was engaged to a girl who pleaded with Cromwell to spare the life of her beloved, but uh, to no avail. And so the young man was to be executed when the curfew bell sounded in some uh, bell tower. And uh, when the uh, sexton re- repeatedly pulls the rope there was no sound coming out of it. And this supposed to, be, you know, he was supposed to be executed when that bell sounded. Well, what had happened was that his fiance had climbed into the belfry and wrapped herself around the clapper so that it could not strike the bell. And of course, in doing so, it's a big bell. It caused her uh, a lot of injury. And uh, it smashed her and bruised her and, and all sorts of things. And so they uh, finally figured out what was wrong. They brought her to Cromwell, and uh, she explained to him as she she was uh, laying there bruised and bleeding uh, that why she had done that. And uh, Cromwell relented when he saw the, the love that he, she had for him. Uh, in fact, someone, uh, a poet, actually wrote a little stanza about this, where he says, "At his feet, she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn." and her sweet young face still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, says Cromwell. Curfew will not ring tonight. And I thought, well, you know, she was willing to take on uh the, the destruction of her own body, whatever it took, right, to save the one she loved. And I think that would be certainly a Great example of what we're talking about here. Now we may never be asked to go to that extent physically, right? But I think we can understand what, what are you willing to do for the person that you love? Well, let's not get, let's not forget that if it's true about each other, what, what, what are you willing to do or what are you not willing to do in, in your love for the Savior, right? In protecting His honor and in extolling His glory. Are there limits to your love for Him? Limits that you will go. And of course we, we know that if, if we have to give our lives, there can be no limits to those who love the Lord. And so love believes, uh, all things. Next, uh, thing we come to here. Love believes all things as we saw the NIV that love always protects. First one, second one, always trust. It believes. It trusts. Again, it doesn't mean that we believe everything we hear but it trusts those that we uh, say we love. Now, it's no excuse to be gullible. But remember, we're speaking of how we are to treat those that we love, and we're not to love this world. So it doesn't mean, you know, that we... In fact, I would say, as Christ said, to be harmless as, as uh, doves, uh, and um, wise as serpents and harmless as doves, right? Um, we are to, to to a sense, we are to be weary of, of the lost, of those who do not love Christ, we we take everything with a grain of salt. Certainly, as an elder, I I uh, read different things and I hear different things, and I, and I've got to have some measure of discernment. I, I don't believe everything I hear. I don't believe half of what I would read in the in the Christian bookstore if they existed anymore, and they hardly do. But because I know better, right? So we're not to be gullible here. But we're talking about those that we love, that we that in that sense. And while we want to be able to assume everything such a person tells us that is true, the point, I think, is that we are to assume the best. It trusts. It assumes that what you're saying and doing is right and you're telling me the truth. And that you're innocent until proven guilty, at least. And, and again, that I think it tells a lot. Because if you hear something and, and you're quick to believe it, then either that person has isn't trustworthy or you, maybe you don't love them too much. That you, that you don't assume the best. But we don't want to be Pollyannish. We, 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 we realize we live in a fallen world and everything, everything we hear, every time someone talks to us, again, it's, it's so obvious anymore that, you know, it shouldn't even be, we don't have to say it, but we don't assume that everything that's being said out there is true. There are people out there who deliberately say things that are not true. And so perhaps if we first applied it to how we love the Lord, it would help us work, work it out towards one another. You think about how I love the Lord. How how do I trust God? With God, we bear and we believe and we hope and we endure all the things that he says, all the things that he's done for us. It's because we know he loves us. And so with God, all these things are true, right? Uh, we bear all things with God. We, we bear... Um, uh, everything with God, we um, we believe everything. Of course, He says we hope, and all the things that He promises, He has made. We know that His love will endure forever. There's no limit because God is, of course, first of all, sinless, and God cannot lie. So, so all these things we can do perfectly in Him, and then we turn around and we look at each other, and so we know how we are to interact with one another, knowing though that we live in a fallen world. And sometimes we do deceive one another and we don't always do what we should do, but that's the goal in the way that we would love God. So it's not hyper, it's, it's hyperbole with man, but certainly not hyperbole with the Lord. They are to be the overall pursuit in our life, these, these scenes in verse seven, but there are times when they just don't apply because all things outwardly, uh, uh, just can't it can't be done because the, all things include evil things. and you think about job's friends, for instance, and how they kind of flunked and all this, they assume assumed the very worst of job. you know I don't see any real evidence that they really loved job. they assumed the worst, and of course their theology was all messed up but um in their it was clear that in their hearts they really didn't think that much about job. they were not surprised at this thing they just assumed. He had done that which is evil. You know, I'd rather be taken advantage of sometimes, and 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 if I have to be gullible, then I'll be gullible rather than jumping to the wrong conclusion. And again, it's easy to be get uh, jaded in this in this day and age. But um, at least when it comes to God's people, I'd rather be taken advantage. I'd rather be lied to, assume the best, and let it be proven when God proves it, than to just assume the worst. Right? And So I think that would be one way we could apply this. Ask yourself what your tendency is first when you hear bad news, perhaps. Um, John MacArthur put it like this, love is a harbor of trust. When the trust is broken, love's first reaction is to heal and to restore. And so even... Sometimes when you assume the best and it's proven that it's not, that doesn't mean that love just immediately casts one aside, right? Well, let's work on getting things back to where it should be. That, that again, this should be our our goal. These should be our first thoughts. This should be our inner desires, brothers. If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. But bear one another's burdens. And again, is in a different sense of, of carrying and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so we're, we're tender. We're forgiving with each other. We're, we, we think the best. We hope the best. We don't jump to conclusions. And as a pastor, as a preacher, I rely heavily on this because it is a constant thing where I say something that somebody wants to take wrong and i so i i rely on the fact that you guys would say wait just a minute i didn't understand that but i know the pastor loves me i know the pastor loves the lord i know that he's he's concerned about my soul so if he said this he had a good reason to say it or perhaps he said it inadvertently and didn't realize he said it but assume the best and don't just jump to conclusions say well I didn't like that, so I'm going to uh, find somewhere else in that type of a, a, of a situation. Thirdly, love hopes all things, and with the Lord, we have every reason to believe that all things will work out for the best because the Lord has promised that, and uh, so we are confident in Him. Again, is all this is easy with the Lord, you know, because everything God has promised me, I hope for, because by hope we, we we understand we don't mean we're hoping it comes to pass, but I know that it's coming. It's future yet. I haven't received it yet, but the hope is there. The hope is is faith in future things, in a sense. Fa- re- I guess a regular faith is is the, the belief in the things that have happened, that, that that what the Bible says is true, and so and the Bible says there's certain things that's waiting for us, and so that's yet hope. Because it's coming. We haven't got it yet. So the, with the Lord, is easy. Because we're confident in Him. And of course, the question is, are we confident in, in each other and those ones that we love? And at the end of the day, no matter how much we sometimes offend and hurt and argue and fight, do we at least know that we have each other's backs? Right? You know, even in your marriage, you don't always get along as you ought to. But you, you don't walk away from each other because you know that you're committed. You're committed first of all to Christ and you're committed to the relationship because you honor the Lord and you know the other one's not going to turn their back on you. or is not going to side with somebody else. You, you, they've got your back. And I, I hope that you believe I have your back. And I hope you have my back and, and so forth, right? In your heart, for instance, you know, do you believe that? I mean, do you honestly believe the, whether it be your spouse or, or someone in the church or, or the elders or whoever? Do you do you say you know what? I know that even in the in dark times or when things are a little tense, I know that they're I commi- I know that my elders are committed to Christ, and so that no matter what goes on here, ultimately that they're good. That's what their concern is. They're for my spiritual good, for my relationship with Christ. you know, Because if you ever get the idea that your elders uh, are using you, well, all trust is gone, right? And the same with your spouse. If you ever get the idea that your spouse is only with you because they're, they're, it's convenient and, and they've got something to gain, but if, if it all comes to an end, they're out. You know, the, the, the relationship in all reality is over with at that point. And unfortunately, there's many who call themselves Christians who will turn on the saints in similar situations. If, if something happens, that they're out. They're gone. <clears throat> Some who, if push comes to shove, will side with family. Or they'll side with the political party. They'll side with social issues. In other words, Christ and the Word of God is not what they're the driving uh, light. It's I got these other loves that I have, and as long as I can have them and Christ all as well. But but if I've got to choose, uh, Christ goes out the window, and God's people goes out the window, and so we can't have confidence in them, right? We because we have no hope that they even love Christ, and so this is not we're not talking about some mystical feeling, just uh, this, this hope here that we're talking about that everything's just going to turn out okay. It is a love for others that works to get to a desired end. In other words, we believe, we're confident in that, that at the end there's going to be a judgment that, that all things are going to be come to the desired end and so I am going to work towards that. I have that hope. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to endure because of that hope. And of course, it, it, it ends in endurance. <clears throat> True love isn't easily dissuaded. And I think if I was going to maybe... Translate hope any, in a different way. That might be the way I would do it. Love isn't easily dissuaded. It's strong. You can't just do a little something and and I'm out of here, right? See, if you're waiting for someone to hurt your feelings and then you're gone, it doesn't say much about your love, among other things. And I think that's why so many marriages fail. Because love hopes to the end. Love has a desired end that is working towards. And it'll do whatever it needs to do to that end. And it doesn't mean that some things won't come to an end. Certain things happen, you know, relationships come to an end. But we're talking about how we want to be as Christians. We don't want to be fickle. We want to fight for what is right and what we love. And if the Lord takes it from us, then He takes it from us. But it's not going to be because we are so full of ourselves that we can't love one another it's always looking for the desired end and working to get it and it doesn't cut and run at the least thing and so love then finally endures to the end and so if hope speaks of our desire for good to happen endurance speaks of the effort we were willing to put forth to make it happen so in other words enduring is, is a word that speaks about being able to uh, hold up under pressure right and so it's one thing to say, I hope this I have this desired end, but if you're not willing to put the work in, if you're if you're not willing to endure during the difficult times, your hopes suspect too to some degree. So endure has maybe has a little bit more of the idea of bearing up as, as we think about carrying something. We'll, we'll bear up what it we'll bear whatever we need to bear. But it isn't patient just for a while. It endures at all costs to the very end. It bears all things to the very end. It believes all things to the very end. It hopes to the very end. The enduring part comes at the last because all those other things are, are nice goals, but without enduring an enduring love, uh, they'll never come to fruition. So it speaks to people who love to the point where they don't just give up with wrongs, uh you know you know for for little things that happen that they don't quit quit when they realize that things aren't going the way that they maybe would like they endure to the end for however long it takes we're committed to the things of Christ committed to the church committed to God committed to God's people and it's for as long as it takes because because what's the option right this, this is what we this is what God saved us so true saints are enduring saints they persevere to the end nothing is going to deter them from Christ and his work while they have life because as i say what is the option if, if there's ever a point where you say you know i think i'm going to leave Christ there there's no other option because at the end of the day only Christ is going to end up the, the earth's melting away think about how a church will do if it's filled with people like this and think of churches that we perhaps know, we've heard of, or know about, where the, the members have not acted like that. And, and I guess there's always, every church has experienced something like this at some, at some point. Some have been split or have uh, come to an end, though, because of unchrist unchristlike attitudes. But think about those who who leave the church because they don't have our good in mind. They don't have Christ's good in mind. They have their good in mind. Their ego has been bruised. Their feelings have been hurt. Well, what about the other Christians? What about the cause of Christ? Well, none of that matters. You've hurt my feelings. I didn't get my way. I wouldn't be in any church more than two weeks if that was the case. If everything I wanted got done. Right? You know, and that same with a marriage or anything else. <clears throat> so without Christ's love, we wouldn't bear much. We wouldn't endure much because we would have no reason to. Because only Christ's love lasts. We know it can never be taken away because of the cross. We have every reason to work hard, even in the most difficult things, for the glory of God. And so there's nothing about giving up in these verses. And I think, again, that's the overall point of verse 7. We, we, we've all been at times where we want to say with all of our heart, right, I quit. I just can't go on. I don't feel it anymore. Forget it. Right? And I'm not talking about just a church, I'm talking about, you know, just in life in general. But love won't allow us to curl up on the couch and forget about those that we love. And how awful it is when you see like a, you see a parent, you see a mother who is so caught up in some addiction or whatever that she just curls up on the couch, she goes into some depression, her kids are allowed to just run wild. And let's and not, not even get, talk about, you know, fathers who abandon their families. That's not love. And Not surprisingly, we learn that in this age, again, this isn't talking about the the, a little period of time before Christ comes back. This is we've been in the last days since Pentecost. But understand this: in the last days, there will be there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to the parents, ungrateful, unholy, all the opposites of what we're seeing here in chapter thirteen. Heartless. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. I mean, you can't you can't look at the Twitter feed or anything that doesn't see the brutality that's out there, right? Not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, and I underline reckless. And I thought, boy, that's something I don't think about too often. But love isn't reckless. We're not reckless with each other. We don't just spout out stuff. We're not, we're not unfeeling. We're not, we don't just, uh, I said this a few weeks ago. We have an agenda in our lives. We have, we, we, organize our life because we have a point. We have a goal. We don't just waltz and lie doing whatever we want to do. We're not reckless. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then in Matthew 24, Jesus, Paul is expanding on Jesus' words. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. See, a love that is easily quenched is not an enduring love. It's a sign of quenching the spirit. And I hope that if we see this in ourselves, it scares us. That we see a kind of love that gives up. A love that is more centered on myself than others. And of course, it is self-love that is being described there, which is in these verses, which is the opposite of biblical love. Because love, Paul tells us, does not run out of time. He said love lasts. All these things, love, that's the whole point. And it'll, uh, of course, be taken up in the later verses that at the end of the day, the, the the gifts that are here, they're necessary for a time. At some point, we won't need them anymore. But love, if we're going to be uh, like the God, which is the whole point of it and Satan to start with, we're going to be in heaven and, and perfect love will abound. It, it'll, it'll be, there'll be other things going on there, but love will be at the center of it all. We'll experience a love we've never known before. So no matter how difficult the trial, love bears up under it. No matter how long the trial might be, love perseveres. And this was not the case with the Corinthians. You know, in chapter 7, they're divorcing each other. In, in chapter uh, 6, they're taking each other to court. They're, that's why Paul is going through all these things. There's a world of difference between a Christian asking the question, how long, and a Christian throwing up the towel with, with the excuse, this is just too long, I can't take it anymore. See, it's one thing for us to say, well, how long will it be for Christ comes back? How long, Lord, will I have to endure this? As we, we, we pray for relief. But when we give up, We've said the Lord doesn't have the power to help us. The Lord's not worth the effort. I'm just going to give up, and nothing can be more dishonoring to Him. And so I think as we we finished here, but in verse eight, I think it, it's a segue. It says, "Love never ends," and I think that kind of segues into the next section because love doesn't give up, and love will continue throughout eternity. Love produces godliness. And in eternity, when all is sin is gone and we no longer need revelation and temporal gifts, we will be perfect. We'll still be loving. Because, again, God is love. And so he's putting these things into perspective. Because we're so prone to make so much out of religious activity and forget why we are given gifts to begin with. Again, keeping the context flowing here, they were so caught up in getting tongues and certain gifts that they had forgotten the reason for the, the gifts, which was love. To, to love God and to love one another. And so that's what Christianity is. It is being conformed into Christ's image. It isn't tongues. It's not healings. It's not miracles. Those had their place. They, they might in some cases have their place. But it's always to conform us to Christ. And so... That's why we, we try to make the point in each message that we want to make sure that we remember that Christianity our faith is all about honoring the Lord and, and living like the Lord being conformed to his image it's not about activity it's not about uh, liturgy although those, those things uh, maybe have their place but that there's they're not the end see you know, like if you know anything about Eastern Orthodox liturgy is kind of the end of it that's that's the whole point no No, being conformed to Christ is the point, and I hope that we never lose sight of that. All right, we'll stop there today. Any questions or comments? Yes, Jeff. All right, thank you for your attention. I hope you have a good week. Dismissed.